Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in to Center Court. I'm Mac McDonald in the Winter Circle Network with Ralph Sampson. And uh, Ralph, before we begin with Graham Benzinger today, which I'm looking forward to, it's going to be a, a great interview. I guess the, the basketball world was, I don't know if they were really surprised or shocked, but Coach K stepping down. What was your first association with Coach K? Well, Mac, you know, the you know, with Roy Williams last year and then this year, basketball season retiring, you know, it's got to be time for coaches like Coach K and Jim Beheim, mm-hmm. you know, just to, you know, get their swan song and go out to pasture basically and live their life. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I met Coach K when I was in, actually, high school. He had, was just uh, beginning to get his coaching career on board, and it was in 1979, 1979 Pan American Games with yeah. Bobby Knight. So I'm um, at, you know, going, announcing to, uh, just trying to figure out where I'm going to school. I have announced UVA at that point in time when I had the Pan American trials. Mm-hmm. I make the team, first high school player that had to make the Pan American Olympic team. And my first coach was Coach K because he was there early. I was there early. And he was teaching me the Bobby Knight rules and regulations of the game of basketball at that point in time. And we were on the court by ourselves going through some training. And it was a good experience because he was a young coach. Uh, you know, he was doing his thing, trying to get up to the next level. And we had a great time and good camaraderie back then. And for me, looking back now, especially that he has his career he has. And, uh, you know, what a, what amazing ride he has. Hopefully this year will be his uh, swan song. And they'll at least play pretty well hopefully with the team he has wow what a what a great story in the acc tournament i don't know if it was your junior year or senior year virginia beats duke late at night by 40 42 42 (laughs) and so john feinstein and a couple of coaches are with coach k at a waffle house and one of coach k's assistants raises a cup of coffee and he says here's to forgetting tonight coach k raised his cup of coffee and said here is to never forgetting do you feel that fueled a Duke Virginia rivalry for years and years and years, especially with Coach Coach Holland? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, you know, they, once they got on track and got Johnny Dawkins and Tommy Amaker and got a core of good, good players, I mean, he started that with those guys and with mm-hmm. the role. But I used to hear all the time in his interviews or when I saw him sometime, I still remember that 42 game <laughs> beat down and I would never forgive you, et cetera. You know, ACC tournament, you see him every now and then at certain events and he would just. Look at you and smile. And, you know, and after, after he wins a couple of national titles, like, I, I, you, you motivated me to, to get better and better and better, but he never forgot that loss. Never forgot. Well, Stick, Graham Benzinger is next. He's interviewed Coach K and thousands of others. We've got that on Center Court on the Winter Circle Network when we come back. Stay with us. I know you will. 
To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. That's a mighty personal question, Graham. <laughs> wow, you have done your research. I think once you go through something like that, you can't help but be different. You can't help but have uh, a better sense of who you are. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our guest today, Ralph, needs no introduction. I know I say that a lot, but this guy has been a, a phenom for a long time. 11 seasons now, in-depth with Graham Benzinger. Uh, it began when, you know, his 11th season, he took a trip to India. He's talking to guys who play cricket. He's interviewed O.J. Simpson. I started to look at everybody over the 10 seasons, now in his 11th, of everybody Kevin Harvick to Kobe, Larry the Cable Guy to Jesse Jackson, Jerry West, Kelsey Grammer, Mike Tyson, just could go on and on and on. Graham, welcome to the show and congratulations on all your success. I just, I guess my first question is, who's left? <laughs> who's left for you to talk to? Uh, well, first, you know, Mac, Ralph, thanks for having me. It's uh, an honor and I, I really appreciate the interest. Um, I mean, there's so many people, uh, you know, as we were talking a little bit uh, off air before we started, I think I have the unique ability to um, bug people to the the point of uh, them saying yes, <laughs> done with me, or them telling me to you know f off and take a hike. So I think I've probably done a better job over the years of learning how to navigate that uh, path of persistence. But yeah, I, I mean, there are so many people that uh, we'd love the opportunity to sit down with from you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron and Serena to a sitting president to um, you name it, there's uh, an endless list. And, you know, sometimes the, the bookings will take, you know, a, a month or so to get other times they'll take five, you know, six years, because I think one of the, the my, my favorite aspects of the show is that, you know, we aren't spending five, 10 minutes with somebody we're uh, profiling, we'll spend anywhere from a few hours to a better portion of, of the, the week. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about Sir Richard Branson, or, you know, Prince Albert, or Jack Nicholas, or, um, you know, Shaq, or whoever, when you're looking for that amount of time, it's just a much longer lead, um, especially considering, you know, I, I don't have the name recognition of, of Bob Costas, or a, you know, Joe Buck or an Oprah or, uh, you know, whoever were this kind of little engine that could small little operation in St. Louis that's just trying to kind of hustle and uh, grow our show. What's it like to, uh, I mean, were you around Shaq? Were uh, you seeing face, face, face to stomach or something like that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, he, he's a huge, huge human so, and he's funny. So uh, that had to be a very interesting time with him because, uh, I know him a little bit. We can try to get him on, on our show as well. He's always on TNT and stuff like that. But I ask everybody when you see Shaq, because I, I stood beside Yao Ming, which I think is the biggest human being that I've ever been beside. And Shaq was smaller than Yao Ming. So right. uh, that had to be an experience, right? Uh, uh, for sure. I um, mean, interestingly, we've taped, uh, Ralph, we've taped uh, Yao twice before we've. Uh, oh, wow. So you see times. the comparison. Yes. Well, we've, we've been to China both times uh, for, for Yao. The first one being uh, right after he retired from the NBA, and the second one being right before he was inducted into, okay. uh, you know, a fellow Hall of Famer like yourself. And it was interesting. We were taping it in the presidential suite of the Intercontinental uh, Shanghai Expo. And, you know, big ceilings and he's having to duck 
even going through there. And, uh, you know, it's funny on the Yao front, and then I'll get to Shaq. Uh, Yao, after the first time we talked to him after he retired from the NBA, he tells me um, on camera, he's like, uh, you know, I've put on some weight. He's like, I've gained 20 pounds. And I'm like, you know, you, you really can't tell. I mean, this is no. a few months after he announced his retirement. And then after we get off the air, uh, he's like, I, I actually lied to you. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I've actually put on 70 pounds. <laughs> you can't tell because I'm just so big. I'm like, my gosh, you could like eat me and nobody would know. Right. Uh, and then Shaquille, um, interestingly enough, uh, after we taped uh, Kobe many years back, which was, you know, obviously a, a, a dream come true, uh, Shaquille uh, uh, tweeted us saying, you know, he really enjoyed the interview. And I see that and my eyes light up because I'm like, I've already been trying to book you for an episode forever. And so we ended up, uh, he started following me. I got uh, connected to his team. And a few years later, we ended up, uh, you know, getting the taping, but it was at his home in Florida, uh, which I think he's since sold, but uh, a tour of the house. And he actually uh, was picking me up to dunk the basketball. And this goes to show you uh, how athletically capable I am. Uh, I was missing the hoop even when he was picking me up to dunk it. So there you go. Yeah, good Shaq story. He's hilarious for sure. Ralph, you never lifted me up to dunk, so maybe that's... No, Mac, I can't. uh, I I don't weigh 320 pounds and, you know... (laughs) I get it. How, how uh, often do, do you hit, will you hit your head uh, like Ralph when you're walking uh, through play? Like, I, I mean, I'd imagine over time you're conscious of that, but that has to be a, a yeah, thing. Yeah, after, after, after you hit it once or twice, you don't do it anymore. So I'm very conscious of doorways <laughs> and heights and, you know, everything like that. So you definitely have to duck uh, a lot of places. And the hardest part, you know, that I found is going on an airplane, right? Because the, the doorway is so small. And then every plane you got, if you don't hit it right, you hit your head at the top of the, uh, the doorway in the airplane. And, and even if you're in first class. I'm just talking about this, this to get on the plane. Right, right. <laughs> right. But then I'm talking, like, even once you sit down, if you're in first class, your knees have to be. Up. Yeah, you know, first, first, for me, first class ain't first class because the right. knees, I mean, it's tall. I mean, most people. Like a shot, you, you need tall and the seat to be wide, right? So I like to roll right behind first class because I stick my legs up in first class. Sure. That's what I try to get. Yeah. Our guest is Graham Benzinger, now in his 11th season, in-depth with uh, Graham Benzinger. And if you turn back the clock, and uh, it's one of the highlights it has to be, and, and I think really a lot of us, especially in radio and TV, started, we interviewed our buddies with baseball bats, and we started to do a lot of talking around the house and in the mirror and uh, Graham, I, I get the feeling not only did you start that way, but how on earth did you get the O.J. Simpson interview when you were a junior in high school? Well, uh, yeah, a couple things. So I'm 34 now. I, I started actually when I was 14 and eighth grader with the, in Internet uh, radio shows. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to think the majority of my life I, I've now been doing this in some capacity. I think I, I was super lucky from the standpoint of, you know, I had the the, the benefit of you know, changing technology and the barrier of entry was, you know, much easier once you have internet and anybody can put anything um, online. And then two, you know, I was just fortunate that uh, a a childhood hobby was able to turn into a career. Um, But I I think early on, I recognized that if I wanted opportunities that may take a little longer to get in one's career, then I, I had to bring something unique to the table. And so for me, I saw that was access. And so dating back to eighth, ninth, 10th grade, when I'm in high school, I made a point of, you know, getting out to as many events as I could, whether or not I could get a press credentials, another story, I would still go anyways and try and meet players and agents mm-hmm. and managers and publicists. And over the years, you just develop relationships with these people that create that access. Um, I was able to get an interview with uh, Jim Brown uh, midway through high school. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened when, I was there. Um, he was, you know, reasonably fresh uh, out of out of jail. So there was uh, like heightened interest around him and obviously one of the most socially significant athletes of the past century. So to ha- have the opportunity to chat with somebody like that was a, a dream come true. But when I was there, I met uh, somebody who represented O.J. Simpson. And, um, you know, I the, the follow up to that is I called him twice a week for a year and a half <laughs> trying to get a taping. And one day, lo and behold, OJ was coming to St. Louis to do a private autograph signing. And they're like, if you can show up at this date and time, uh, we'll do it. So I uh, 
managed to get my mom to write a note to let me out of school and uh, end up interviewing OJ and then Good Morning America buys it from me and <laughs> gave the news outlets and then that started creating you know other opportunities from from there. How, how, how early were you at that interview getting out of school and get early I mean you was a couple hours early I mean you were so excited I'm sure to get the interview take me through that process of after you know your mom gets out of school and what time were you there at the interview? Uh, oh, I, I'm sure I got there super early. It's uh, I, I used to figure out every which way to get out of school to try and <laughs> you know, my then hobby. It. I remember um, one time I used to predating the internet radio show. I uh, sold packs of cards through eBay and created an e-commerce website where um, I, I'd sell uh, baseball cards. And um, I used to also like getting uh, autographs. And I remember uh, one time uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, was in his final year with the Padres. Uh, they were coming to St. Louis for the last homestand. I'd never gotten uh, his autograph uh, ever before, and it was just driving me crazy. So I end up forging um, a, a note, <laughs> a doctor's note, as if it's from my mom, give it to the school principal, get out of school. I have a taxi waiting for me at the church across the street to take me down to Bush Stadium to get there. Uh, two hours before game time, I end up getting... Uh, uh, a, a signed ball from him. Another Padres player gave me a bat, and I came back to school in time for the last couple periods. Of oh wow! So I tried to, uh, you know, you got to get creative to make stuff happen. And uh, luckily, I was uh, found a career that you know allowed me to take advantage of that, as opposed to winding up somewhere else. <laughs> Mac, he he had his game on really at an early age, right? He was hustling at an early age, getting a taxi across the street. So yeah, that, that's a good story. Absolutely. And, and so, Graham, with that, then, as you're growing up, where did your interview skills develop? Where, where did you did you watch somebody that you tried to follow? How did how did you develop such, such just great interview skills? You know, I mean, first, it's very kind of you to say, because I will, you know, watch my content and cringe often. Sure. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> different, you know, different uh, interviews I've done. I, I think uh, first there are a number of people whose skills I, I really admire, from Bob Costas to Oprah to Howard Stern to the late sixty Minutes correspondent, uh, you know Mike Wallace. Mm -hmm. You name it; like all were great interviewers or conversationalists for a, a, a variety of reasons. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't think I have any particular talent uh, other than I think the one thing we have going for us is just preparation for the conversation. Uh, you know, we put probably a hundred hours of research into each interview preceding the sit down between myself, a couple producers or our part-time researcher. I will consume, you know, every significant, you know, text, video, audio story that's ever been done on the person. If they wrote a book, I read that as well. I'll talk to few people close to the individual I'm interviewing preceding the sit down. And I think that just helps in coming up with even anecdotal type stories they haven't been asked about a million times before. And, you know, when I'm going into a conversation since, you know, I, I don't <laughs> yet have the stature of some of these other, you know, prominent interviewers. I think the only thing we have going for us is that, it, it, you know, if they see you're really prepared uh, that just makes them, you know, more engaged, more willing to give maybe a little better access than they're uh, otherwise used to. You know, we did one with um, Tom Hanks a, a few months back and mm -hmm. it was uh, supposed to last an hour and a half and uh, it ends up lasting almost three hours. And that, that wasn't because we were asking for more time. He was just engaged and wanted to keep going. And, you know, that's somebody who we had no business even having the opportunity <laughs> to talk to. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy having the opportunity to have these conversations because it's like, you know, talking to um, successful people like yourselves. It's, um, you know, I, I feel like I get paid to sit across from somebody really successful and ask them about their path to success, highs and lows, lessons learned. Um, and it's, it's, you know, selfishly, it's very motivating uh, coming out of those uh, conversations and, and you learn a lot as well. The same way you got up and said, without a shadow of a doubt, we can prove that Ray Lewis stabbed and killed two people. Get up and tell the media that you just told me you don't care if I'm guilty or not. I didn't break up the Beatles. 
Okay, I didn't shoot JFK. Well, no, after all, though, it is a profile interview and it's part of your life. All of a sudden, it sounds to me like you're saying I'm an addict. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back on the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. And with us is Graham Benzinger, in-depth with Graham Benzinger now in its 11th season. He's been with NBC Sports, ESPN, a resume that's a mile long. You made Larry the Cable Guy cry. I mean, <laughs> how, how does that happen? Well, you know, it's kind of what I was talking about before when, you know, you're talking to somebody about, you know, their path to success, highs and lows, sure. learn. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy, uh, was far from an overnight success. You know, he had a long career on radio, was doing mm. the, the stand-up circuit uh, around the country, you know, away from home, you know, night after night after night, yeah. just trying to catch his break and make, make a living for himself. And the turning point or, or the point in his career that he credits with feeling like he made it was when he got the role in the Pixar mm movie uh where he didn't have to audition and you know the agent called him about it and he's like okay when when do i have to audition and uh the agent was just like no you got it it's it's yours and for whatever reason for him it was that moment um i have actually goosebumps telling (laughs) just because i i I remember sitting across from him you you know you can see it in the person's eyes like that was that was the validating (laughs) moment for him when he recognized that his hard work was paying off that was original. The original cars. He was the dump truck, right? With it. Right. Uh, what is it? Mater? Yeah. Yeah. Mater. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So for for somebody in that career, and, and and yours started at an early age, and now in your this early thirties, you've actually blossomed into a, a great uh, uh, host as well. But from the cable guy, he you mentioned that he, you know, had had a long time before he got there. What was his story there, and how did it compare to yours as far as so someone that's listed the process of getting there and being successful, because it's a grind to get there. And, and obviously you made it there, but it's also a grind to stay at the top of that thing. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think w- with him, it was, uh, and, you know, we've been fortunate to feature some other comedians on our, our show before we've done Ray Romano. We've done uh, Judd Apatow. We've uh, done Steve-O of uh, Jackass fame, who's kind of a, a burgeoning uh, comedian as well. But, uh, you know, for a lot of these guys, uh, it's honing their craft on the stand-up circuit and, you know, going city by city around the country. And, you know, in some of the cases, uh, as they get, you know, later in their career and have more success, they're decent paying gigs. But for the, the longest time, I, I mean, you're barely making ends meet despite putting in right. hours, hours equivalent of, you know, a couple full-time jobs. So, mm-hmm. uh yeah, at you know different points for the, each of these guys, they just you know realize it clicks and stuff you know comes to together. I, I probably I'd imagine it was probably like that for you too with your you know basketball career. At some point, you just felt the hard work paying off, and it started to become easier, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But but probably to your your point, it's. Uh, you know, there's one thing to, you know, get there. It's a, another thing to be able to be, you know, consistent and everybody's, uh, you know, coming at you, uh, to, you know, trying to dethrone you from right. your perch. And, yeah. So. Right, right. How, how do you decide your targets, Graham? Who do, I mean, how far out? In other words, do you have 200 people on a list? Do you have sticky notes all over your computer? I mean, how do you decide your targets? So it's uh, myself or, or a couple of producers. We have a talent producer as, as well who assists in uh, the, the bookings. And mm-hmm. I mean, we we have a list a mile long, uh, you know, both domestic shoots, ones that will you know take us all over the globe. We've you know, you mentioned India. We've been to, you know, Alaska and Russia and Azerbaijan and the, the Middle East and the, the, the Philippines. And we were in Portugal a, a few weeks ago and, you know, Mexico a few weeks before that for our first trip out of the country since COVID. Uh, so, you know, there are all sorts of people that interest us that we're, you know, pursuing on an ongoing basis. But, you know, there's the reality, there, there's who we want. 
mm-hmm. and then the reality of who's available at, at the time. And though those intersect, but it's just, uh, you know, some take a, a lot longer to uh, book. Book, book than yeah. others. Yeah. So, and, and then some are coincidental, like when we got, you know, Sir Richard Branson, it was, I, I ran into him in mm-hmm. uh, North Africa on at a hotel and then that leads to a month later we're with them for the better portion of a week in the the bahamas and so um yeah it's just you kind of got to hustle and uh you know not take the first no for an answer <laughs> ralph you love i know you love guys that and we talk about it all the time and and graham a lot of this show and this uh that Ralph and I do, we talk to people who have, have built, uh, you know, built themselves and, and built industries and built, you know, and, um, and I know after your third season, I think your quote was, I was on the other side of broke because yep. you decided to really step out into your third season. Now you're going to expand. Ralph is expanding. I think he's finding out that you got to hustle and you got to move. What, how hard was that for you? Well, so a little context on, on my history was that, you know, I, I, I left college after a year and a half because I was getting good work opportunities, thought, you know, my ego, I'm sure, exceeded my uh, ability, <laughs> uh, probably still does, but especially then, um, you know, and I, the, I was working for ESPN for a few years, then worked for NBC Sports for the year after that, uh, really just kind of a, a freelance type deal. And at the height of the last recession, March of 2009, I get laid off. Uh, and all of a sudden, I, I realize, you know, I have no source of income. I'm living in my old bedroom at my parents' house. And <laughs> this thing that I thought was a career was really nothing more than a hobby. And either, you know, I need to get my, you know, what together and, and figure this out or, or find a, a real job because I'm a college <laughs> dropout with no uh, <laughs> other you know, career prospects really. And so, you know, you just have a pretty, you know, pointed moment of self-reflection. And I always liked the idea of doing these long form interviews. Um, and that's what I was doing in the prior roles, but I never had control over what aired. And oftentimes what would happen is, you know, I, Ralph, I, I talked to you for an hour and then 30 seconds of the most controversial stuff would end up on TV and nobody would right. see anything right. else. Right. And, right. and I always struggled with the fact that you know, this person's trusting me to fairly tell their story and to no fault of my own, I was kind of giving them a raw deal. And so when I got laid off, I thought, you know, I certainly don't have the resume to warrant anybody giving me the type of platform that I'm looking for to be able to tell these stories. Let's just see if I can figure out how to create it on my own. So it was, you know, figuring out how to put a show together, how, you know, you go about signing on a, a TV outlet or a distribution partner to carry it. It's, you know, how you go about signing on an advertiser or sponsor to fund it. It's, you know, the people that you need to actually put the show together, the editors, producers, cameramen. And so I didn't know the first thing about any of that at the time. So it took about a year and a half to figure all that out. And, uh, you know, Mac, to your point, after the first three seasons, I realized uh, the outlets that we were on while great partners were getting limited ratings. And, as we were wanting to grow the show, you need to have more money to do that. If we're going to ask advertisers for more money, we need to have the content on places that have more visibility. So in order to do that, I, you know, I'm working like six days a week, half days on Sundays, uh, you know, morning to night. It's my only, you know, existence. I, I physically could not put any more hours in. And so you realize either, okay, this is slowly going to decline. You're going to be out of business or you're going to figure out a way to invest more money to get more resource to kind of pursue these larger goals. And so I just decided, look, I, I, I believe in myself. I, uh, I want to, I want to give this a shot. And at least if I fail, I fail knowing I did everything I possibly could to try and make it a success. And, um, you know, it, I somehow got a, $400,000 line of credit from the bank. I uh, ended up completely maxing that out. I, you know, lost like my, any bit of life savings that I I had. And I mean, I was about a week away from, you know, it it just being the end. And, you know, during that time, you like, you just think about money around the clock. It's like, you know, morning, 
day and mm -hmm. night and in the shower and you name it, like all I thought about was money. And it's, uh, you know, it leaves a lasting impact on you. You realize like what you never want to go through again, but it's, uh, you know, it was getting through that that allowed us to grow the show and the show, you know, we're 11 years, 11 seasons in, but it's still, you know, very small relative to where we uh, wanted to get, but it's, you know, you can start to feel the momentum and stuff going in a, a positive direction and getting some traction, which is, you know, it means uh, everything to me. And, you know, we have a team of uh, 10, 12 folks here at our office in St. Louis, and we could probably have double the people with budgets uh, permitted, but, you know, it's kind of a small team with everybody, you know, fully vested in trying to build this thing. So it's a lot of fun. I look back and I'm like, I was manipulated. How so? You know, I was in a relationship where I was kind of forced to choose. I'd gotten to the point in my marriage at that time. The unhappiness was so profound that I actually started to believe that the best course for my life was to not be alive. What about it made you so emotional? Well, you, you, it's just everything, everything you worked for. I mean, you, you take a, a child that wants to kill herself, and I can help her. This is Center Court. Presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. We're with Graham Benzinger, in-depth with Graham Benzinger now in its 11th season and, and truly one of the great uh, interviewers in the country today. Um, Ralph, the interesting thing about what Graham does, I mean, he's gotten people to admit to suicides. You know, the Kelsey Grammer interview was yeah, so yeah. good. Jerry West um, talking about that. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you, Graham, who was your worst interview? <laughs> who was maybe who was your favorite? But in connection with that, did anybody ever walk out on you? Did anybody ever get so mad that they said, this is over where I'm done? Well, uh, a couple things. Um, first, the, the season that we're wrapping up now has, you know, been one of my favorites. You know, we've, uh, you know, done everything from, we were, at the White House with Annika Sorenstam the day after the Capitol breach. Mm. The only media allowed in the room with her and President uh, Trump uh, when she was getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom. We were, um, you know, with the, you know, I mentioned Tom Hanks. We have one we just taped with, uh, you know, Ray Dalio, the, the hedge fund billionaire of Bridgewater uh, fame, who's big in deep ocean exploration where, uh, you know, he has this big ship and he goes down in submarines exploring the sea. And then to your point, uh, the, the, the suicide front, we kicked off our, our season with um, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, uh, where, you know, he revealed for the, the first time his brother took his own life this, mm -hmm. you know, off season and talked about the depression that he himself was going through uh, due to, uh, you know, COVID predating his brother's passing. So, um, you know, strangely enough, even uh, amid the, the pandemic, um, we were able to kind of figure out how to keep stuff moving forward. And that's just kind of a, a credit to our team. Um, I, I mentioned Jim Brown uh, earlier. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Brown, uh, who I've sat down with on a few occasions before at his home in the Hollywood Hills, is uh, one of my all-time favorite interviewers. <laughs> I have interviews. Um, but also somebody who has walked out on me once. Um, so, you know, he's uh, what I think in his eighties now walks with a, a cane, but it's still yeah, welcome, kick, kick my, you know, what 10 times over. And he, he's very quick to tell you if you ask a dumb question. And so <laughs> I am like, I over prepare going into a conversation with him, but I, he's probably now the only guy that like, I will feel my, you know, hard pounding in, in that interview. And I, uh, you know, he's, uh, I mean, I know you guys know his, his history, but from, you, you know, friendships with Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali to knowing, you know, Richard Pryor, Frank Sinatra, Hugh Hefner, Jack Nicholson, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Just the, you know, stories he has are, are remarkable. And, uh, you know, J. Edgar Hoover had FBI spies tracking Brown for the better portion of a decade because they viewed him as a political threat. And there's just so much history there that um, he's fascinating to talk to. And th there have been a, a couple times where I um, unintentionally got under his skin and he <laughs> you know, interviews over. He'll spend the next uh, five minutes chewing me out and then we have to show ourselves out. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's brutal because 
you know, somebody like that who you have so much respect for, you never uh, want to like disappoint them when they're giving you that amount of time. But uh, yeah, he's uh, somebody who kind of fits uh, both questions. So when he walked out, I mean, I know Jim at some events in LA I used to go to, but when he walked out, how'd you get him back? Or did he come back? <laughs> no, he, he didn't come back one of the time. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I mean, we've since, uh, I've seen him since, and, you know, we've uh, taped stuff since, and he, he's, uh, you know, been great. But, uh, you know, I, I think what I, I've learned over uh, time, and that was, I think when that happened, that was probably 10, almost 10 years ago now, um, you know, oftentimes in these tapings, we'll cover sensitive subject matter and stuff that, you know, probably somebody would prefer n not addressing. But I I've learned over time that, you know, there's generally a way of covering a difficult subject if you approach it in the right way, ask the, the question with the right tonality and inflection and uh, avoid confrontation. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something, admittedly, I'm still working on it with uh, every interview, there is something and, you know, you just try and put a lot of thought into approach and how you're going to address it with the person, because there's nothing good generally that comes from making the person uncomfortable or putting them on the spot or getting them worked up. So. He is Graham Benzinger in depth with Graham Benzinger now in its 11th season, as he just said, getting ready to wrap up. And Ralph, I know you know this. When he interviewed Mike Tyson, he won an Emmy. Uh, so, and of course, Mike Tyson's one of the most polarizing figures, I think, of all time. That, but that had to feel awfully good that you were finally awarded what you what you deserve for a long time. Oh, Mike, Mike, Mike Tyson and Jim Brown. Which one was? Which one did you fear the most? Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike, yeah which... Mike, <laughs> um, and I, I actually that I, I forgot about Mike's the actually the only well I've had only one other person walk out on me outside of Mike. Uh, Mike came back though. You know his. Uh, this was again for going back a, a number of years uh, when this happened. But you know for our season debut episode of one of our earlier seasons, and his wife told me. You know, we'll give you minimum an hour and a half, but if it's going well, Mike could be willing to spend way more time with you. So, of course, in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it go great. And then I'm going to get all this additional time with uh, Iron Mike. And, uh, you know, halfway into the interview, I asked him about uh, trainer uh, Teddy Atlas holding a gun to his head when he was 15 years old, which was a significant moment. But mm -hmm insignificant relative to everything else that's transpired in, in, in Mike's life. And I knew right away when I asked that question, it was like, Oh, <laughs> wrong question. Wrong. <laughs> oh, you can just see it in his eyes instantly. And like, you know, you're sitting pretty close. I'm like, <laughs> I, let's try and diffuse this. And it didn't matter what I said after that, his response was, I don't know. And eventually I'm like, okay, Mike, does this mean the interview's over? And he said, yes. He thanked me. He, went out back behind his house where he trains uh, pigeons that he uh, breeds for mm -hmm. uh, races. And before we left, I, I managed to get uh, his assistant to let me go out back and thank Mike for allowing us to come. And that thank you off camera turned into a few hour conversation, just the two of us out back. And it led to him saying, you know, you guys should come back tomorrow. And so we came back the next day, spent probably a half a day with him the following day. And that made all the difference in the world in terms mm -hmm. of the end product. And I think Mike's somebody who understandably has been burned by a lot of folks in the media and even, uh, you know, a, a minimal amount of additional trust that that conversation created uh, just helped in uh, allowing us to, you know, create a, a piece that I think represented uh, him well and that he was really pleased with. Well, I don't know if he, if he walked out or not, but Pete Rose, uh, I, I, oh. I watched your whole Pete Rose interview. He was not happy with you either. It sounded like <laughs> Pete, great. You know, Pete, uh, will get, uh, a little, uh, animated at moments, but at times, he, also, yeah. he also has funny stories. Like he was telling me about showering Joe DiMaggio in Vietnam 
and talking about how he saw everything Marilyn Monroe saw. And the best way to describe Joe DiMaggio is a penis with a man. hanging. (laughs) Pete is a character who's yeah. Been very nice to me over the years too. So so Graham, where does it, where does it go now? Where does it, as I said, you want to, you're, you're looking at some options and, uh, uh, you know, naturally you want to continue to build and, uh, and build your presence and your, your brand and everything. Where do you think it goes now? Well, so uh, a couple things. First, you know, we, the goal is to have our content wherever people consume it. So whether it's, you know, our, our podcast, which is the one place uh, somebody can go for the long form uninterrupted interview mm-hmm. or the, the full uh, TV episodes, which is, you know, has voiceovers and B-roll and a half hour long and really where we like tell the, the best rounded story that airs on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox stations across the country, re-airs on, you know, NBC Sportsnets and Valley Sportsnets. Um, you know, ESPN carries us internationally on uh, their programming in like Australia, New Zealand, uh, Mexico, Caribbean, and South America. Um, we have, you know, Canada and the UK. And, you know, so we're, we're trying to put our content everywhere where people consume it. We're on video screens and taxi cabs uh, <laughs> and, and then like YouTube and Facebook where we put um, clips. But, you know, as you guys know, the, the media landscape's continuing to change and it's, you know, picking up pace and, you know, streaming's obviously streaming, yep, yep. Um, on, on the rise. So um, that's, you know, I, I think it's a really exciting time as a content creator, uh, to kind of figure this out and, you know, navigate how to uh, put your programming in places where, uh, you know, people want to view it. And as linear, uh, you know, broadcast and cable TV uh, ratings slowly decline, how do you make up for that in, you know, streaming or, you know, other digital outlets or whatever. So um, I, I think for us, it, it's continuing to figure uh, that out, which is a, an exciting challenge. And, you know, you kind of get energized by, you know, figuring out uh, how to change. Um, but then also, you know, it's, we want to continue um, producing programming that has improving quality. So continuing to invest more money in you know, cameras and manpower and mm-hmm. uh, just to make the, the finished product as good as it can be. Um, we want to continue to go to more interesting places to feature folks and get more access to top talent. Um, and then, you know, long-term continue to expand the audience size and hopefully uh, slowly open it up outside of sports too, where, you know, it's uh, on a consistent basis, you know, in a perfect world. One week we'd have on Tom Brady, the week after that, it'd be President Obama. The week after that, we'd be with Julia Roberts. The week after that, in <laughs> some far-flung region of the world doing a human interest story. So I think long-term, that would be the hope. But, uh, you know, it's, we have a long ways to go to get there. And so just want to keep hustling and grinding and, uh, you know, fingers crossed, uh, uh you know, one day we'll be able to make it happen. You know, from from early age in your teens to now, I mean, obviously you had a motivation and drive. Could you only ever imagine this ride and journey you're on? And how would you tell uh, yourself at 14 years old, looking back, what would you say to that kid out there that maybe mm-hmm. listen to this? How do you get to where he, where you are? What 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 motivates you? What are the two or three things that you would tell somebody that that may help them be motivated and be successful as you are? Well, it. it you know, it's funny. I don't feel much different than I felt at 14, which is, you know, I feel like if, you know, my show went away tomorrow, nobody would, you know, really care. And I, (laughs) um, you know, still feel like I'm kind of trying to fight and claw to, you know, make something of of myself. So I don't know if that's a good mentality or or, or bad. It's a great, it's a great, you still got the grind. It's a great mentality for sure. I was going to say, I probably need a lot of time with a therapist to figure it out. But I, uh, I think the biggest thing I'd say to anybody, whether it's you want to pursue a career in broadcasting or whatever the field, um, for me, you know, everybody told me no along the way. And, you know, it was very rare somebody would agree to give me an opportunity or, uh, you know, s- something like that. And, um, I, I just, I think the first, I was fortunate that I, you know, two great parents who, uh, believed in me and were encouraging and, you know, taught me from an early age that like, 
I, I can do whatever I want in life, which is you don't realize till you're older and you have a lot, uh, a lot of time to, you know, talk to other people that that's, you know, I, I probably was the exception, you know, not the, the norm in that mm. regard, not to mention, you know, I, you know, I only went to school for college for a year and a half, but my parents paid for that. And, you know, you just realize you're kind of the lucky member of the sperm bank. In, in, in that <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, you know, important to believe in yourself. And if you believe you can do something and you stick with it, um, chances are you're going to be able to make it happen if you invest the time and you also focus on educating yourself, you know, as well. So I think uh, anybody can do anything. Everybody might start with different circumstances and it might be a much harder path for some than others. But, um, you know, life is a a long time. And even if it goes by quickly, I think the, you know, everybody can have whatever kind of success they they want in life. Ralph, he has been on dog sleds. He has surfed and he has interviewed over a thousand people around the world, at least. So Graham, thank you for taking the time. It's great. It was great to catch up. Oh my God. Great story. Thank you so much for sure. Oh, really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be back with more of Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is Samson Family Foundation. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network. And and Ralph Graham was too good. And I, I just enjoy his comments about, you know, if you believe in yourself with the right instruction and you know kind of the right guidelines he says you really can accomplish a lot i went well that sounds like ralph sampson that's you know know, building your foundation but anyway i I just really love the grand benzinger interview today it was it was outstanding like the story i mean at a young age you know i mean he started real young and he had a a motivation drive and determination uh to, to 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 just be good and be aggressive and it paid off right yeah, and so the whole story is amazing to me. Just kind of how he started and where he is today, and I mean, he has options now to do a lot of different things. Right. And he wants to be able to control what he's been able to do, and I think he's going to be the next phase of his career is going to be off the chart. Before I forget, for more content and information on Center Court, follow us on at Center Court Podcast Fifty and at Ralph Sampson Fifty on all social media platforms. I'll transition into your summer. Uh, you know, I thought you might take a few weeks off. I don't think you're going to have time. Uh, I was looking at the Mass and Nutton schedule today, and I know you're excited about the camps. By the way, how was your big event? How was your big uh, the big basketball event? It was good. We we know we we, we played. We had to didn't have as many teams as we liked, so we had to cancel mm-hmm. some things that went along with it, but. We'll do it again in uh, September, and hopefully we'll have more teams. But we're excited about that and Horizon's Edge and what we can do over there as well. But our summer at Mass Nutton is going to be phenomenal. I'm looking forward to that. We tried to do it last year, but the pandemic, you know, held us sure. back. And now things are opening up a little bit more, so we look to have more more kids there as well. It's going to be a fun number of weeks there for me because I'm back in the, you know, in the basketball space somehow, some way working with kids. So I'm excited. Uh, just a couple notes. It's open to grades four through 12. The camp session dates, the first couple, June 22nd to the 24th and June 29th through July 1st throughout the summer. We will be reminding you eight different three-day camps offered throughout the summer uh, 2021. And uh, you can just go to the website, mass. it's massresort.com, and you can find out about Ralph's Academies, which 
are really good. And before we go, how about not well, a lot of schools, but Virginia says in the fall we're a hundred percent. That's it. Attendance, a hundred percent attendance. Well, they can say it. Let's, <laughs> let's see if it actually happens. Uh, you know, you're a little skeptical, stuff. huh? I, 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 until this thing is all the way under control. Because remember, last year the summer was pretty good. Yeah, everybody was out and about doing things. At the end of fall, this thing's just kind of exploded again, right? Yeah. Uh, now that we have a vaccine. You know, and people are getting them more, and hopefully everybody out there listening to this can get their vaccine. It's you now I've got it, you got it, and you know, mm. but you might have to have a booster. We don't know yet, but I'm um, looking forward to uh, everything back to normal. But you know, back to normal is not good enough, Mac. We got to get better than normal. Yeah, that's so, good. So point. that everybody can respect everybody, and you know, and, 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 and have a freedom that they can move around freely. Ralph, I couldn't have said it any better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week right here on Center Court. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O dot com.